Hello, and welcome to a brand new podcast, Three Lessons from Breakthrough Leaders. I'm Zana Ryabchuk, MD at Breakthrough Global. And I'm Dr. Bart Sale, CEO and founder at Breakthrough Global, where we've spent the past 30 years developing the breakthrough methodology to help transform companies looking to reach their highest level. And in this podcast, we'll meet the world's foremost leaders and creative talents, distilling their knowledge and experience into three lessons, which we guarantee will help you and your companies to unleash your potential. And Bart and I will take a moment to analyze the key takeaways and the opportunity for breakthrough thinking that arises from each one. And in today's episode, we've got a real treat for you. Gary McCullough, who's led transformative growth of some of the world's leading companies. Now I've known Gary for 20 years, and I'm very grateful that he's joining today. Gary has spent an illustrious career in the public company sector as a CEO, a president, senior executive, and board member in market-leading consumer and commercial businesses, including the Procter & Gamble Company, the William Wrigley Jr. Company, and Abbott Laboratories. And today we'll hear these three lessons from Gary. Never forget who you are, you know, find that thing that you can emulate, right? That, that, that you do want to be better at. So find that thing and tuck it away for something, you, you know, you use later on. And, the, and conversely, those things that you didn't want to do, tuck those away and say, I'm never going to do those, you know? How compassion marks a great leader. So my dad, you know, so he was smart enough to tell me, and this is a pretty common saying, that you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. And the importance of always staying curious. Let's go back to, you know, when I was at the Wrigley Company. You know, most people who are old enough will, will think about those sticks of gum. They were wed to sticks of gum, but gum was being sold in other forms. And, the, and there was a reluctance to, to change. So let's get started. Lesson one, no one left behind. I'll, I'll start off. I usually... Um, when I'm introducing myself to a group um, or in a conversation like this, I usually start off by, by telling people that I'm an Army brat. Uh, I'm very proud of that. My father spent uh, over 30 years uh, in the Army, uh, and I, I grew up um, you know, in the U.S. and places overseas. Um, he was from Dayton, Ohio. My mother's from Montreal, Canada. But, but the reason I say that is because having gone to 15 schools before I graduated from high school, um, th- that does one of two things for you. It either makes you a, 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 an introvert or it makes you an extrovert. You either crave it or you don't. And um, I've got three sisters who became introverts, and, and I was the person who um, became, to some degree, an extrovert. Um, but it formed a foundation for you know, how I view the world. Um, I think you know, I'm, I'm outward looking. I seek out things to do. But I, I start there uh, because it is foundational. You know, it's given me an insight into you've had so many different leadership roles. But I'd like to kind of cast our mind back to the army. What are some of the key learnings that you had about leadership there that have stood you in good stead for all of your future uh, leadership roles and in your incredible career? Sure. I think one of the things that people uh, believe about the uh, the army or the military in general is that because you have uh, a hierarchy, a fairly well defined hierarchy, is that you can simply order people around, uh, and and you can uh, because people uh, do adhere to the chain of command, uh, but you don't get very far that way, um, and so you know ultimately there's still uh, a need to 
uh, to be rational in your thinking, to make people understand uh, what it is that, that's expected of them, um, and to bring them along uh, so they can go, you know, so they can do things in an enthusiastic manner. When you're asking people to potentially put their lives on the line, they need to understand what, it, what it's for. So, um, you know, I, I learned, I think, fundamentally about leadership. And I think one of the most inspiring leaders uh, that I ever had, in fact, the most inspiring leader that I, I ever had, I'll tell you the story that, you know, first made me become uh, an admirer of his. We were doing an exercise, uh, and I remember very clearly it was it was February. We were in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and it was cold. Uh, it was cold, and it was sleeting, and we had been out um, for, you know, uh, I think 10 or 12 days at that point in time. Uh, we hadn't had very many hot meals, um, and it was it was just awful. Uh, General Galvin came around and inspected my platoon, and as he was going around, uh, he went to one of my privates and he asked, he said, Private, what do you think of this exercise? And, and that particular private was probably the most outspoken one in my unit. He said, Sir, this sucks. Uh, and I thought... Wow, there goes my little career. Um, and um, and 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 what he said was, you know, sir, we've got people who are are walking around saying that you know this is uh, great infantry weather, this cold and sleeting. And he says, for me, great infantry weather uh, is seventy five degrees and partly cloudy, uh, not thirty five degrees and sleeting. And General Galvin looked at him and said, so well, you know, what can I do to make it better for you? And he said, well, I sure could use a Snickers bar. And and Galvin, you know, pulled out his uh, his notebook and wrote a note and put it in his breast pocket and off he went. And, and about three days later, um, a big box came in the uh, uh, through the mail to us. You know, it was, it was delivered to us out there. So it was still you know thirty five degrees and sleeting. Uh, and that box contained thirty eight Snickers bars and Aww. a note and a note from General Galvin to that private. Um, and the note said, Private Nix, I, I can't do anything about the weather, okay? Um, but hopefully this will make your day better. Please share these with the, the other soldiers in your unit. And we had 38 soldiers in my platoon at the time. And at that moment, um, that small note, the time that he took to write that small note um, was, was the most inspiring thing in the world. We would have followed him into hell that day um, because he made our day better. Uh, and, um, and so I, I, I think about that over the course of the years, I've, I've thought about the small things that really make a difference um, in, in organizations and, and to individuals. And I began the same practice of writing notes to people in, in, my, in my businesses where if they did a good job, I would just you know, shoot them a note and, and I would go around and I would see on people's cubicles, you know, uh, the notes that I had written to them maybe a year or two before. And I, and I think that, um, you know, to this day, I, I, bet, I bet Private Nix as an old man now probably has that note somewhere in his stack of things that he found valuable. So, you know, I, I, I've always remembered that. I, John Galvin, who went on to become the NATO commander, uh, was, was very empathetic. He was very charismatic. He was a very caring, a very caring person. And, and I think that's what people, you know, want to see in their leaders, you know, as well as basic competence, but you don't become a general uh, or, or a high-ranking, you know, leader in organizations if you don't have some level of competence. One of the things that it brought up for me is two of the most incredible military leaders, Caesar and Napoleon. They had that quality with them. Yeah. So Caesar's legionaries would follow him anywhere. Right. And he would remember the names of particular centurions who were, you know, the equivalent of young officers. Sure. 
And Napoleon was the same. It's really interesting you say that because I remember, and this is another another lesson. I remember when I was a, a brand new second lieutenant, um, my father, who had been you know a sergeant major in the army, I I, I, I had a, a captain who was my company commander who I, I didn't think real highly of at the time. So my 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 dad asked me about him, and I said that I said you know I, I really don't I don't admire these qualities in him, and he says, well, what does he do well? And I said, you know what? The one thing I really admire is that we have, a, you know, we had 160 soldiers in our company uh, and he knew every soldier in that company. He knew their name. He knew if they were married or not. He knew if they had kids, if they had kids, he knew their kids' names. He knew how old they were and he was genuinely interested. But, but you know, that ability um, both to care and to know people is really important. And so um, particularly as a leader, because just saying somebody's name, if they're deeper in the organization, you know, it goes, it goes a mile. It's like he, he, he knows who I am. She knows who I am, you know? And so I think that goes a mile for somebody, particularly if they're relatively young in the organization. And new. So I always admired that. And I tried to be, you know, somebody who could do that as, as well. When I was at P&G, John Pepper, who was the, um, the, the, the CEO at one point in time, I was a brand new, uh, I was a brand new new hire. I think I've been in the company, you know, four or five months uh, when I met him on an elevator, you know, he introduced himself and two years later, he saw me again and called me by my name. Um, wow. And so, you know. And you've and, remembered and, that for the rest of your life. That's there there it is, is, because, he, they, because yeah. there was no reason for him to remember my name. And so. That ability goes a long way if you, if, if you have it. It's a tough thing to do, but you can work at it. So the lesson I learned was, you know, find that thing that uh, that, that you can emulate, right? That, that that you do want to be better at. So find that thing and tuck it away for something, you, you know, you use later on. And, the, and conversely, those things that you didn't want to do, tuck those away and say, I'm never going to do those, you know? <laughs> So that was fantastic and fantastic storytelling from Gary. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard that story about the Snickers. And I can see now that that's, Gary has used that in, in creating his own approach to leadership. One thing about Gary is he's always been hands-on. So no matter how much he's been involved in leadership and strategy and so on with the company, he's also a very hands-on leader. And that's one of the things I've always admired him for absolutely that idea of leading from the front I mean the way he told that story then I have to admit it actually brought tears to my eyes um, and I remember the way that it should always be an aspiration for developing leaders the thought of leaving a legacy behind not just doing something for those short-term quick wins and the you know the quarterly statistics it's got to be the legacy that makes you into a fantastic leader and that's just the start from Gary there's more to come lesson two more honey less vinegar so my dad, you know, um, he was a pretty simple guy. He he graduated from high school. He went into the military largely to avoid going to uh, jail, uh, you know, at the end of World War II. And, um, and he always looked at me. And I think when you're a black man in America and you're in business, um, that you, there are just certain things that you got to avoid. And so he was smart enough to tell me, and this is a pretty common saying, that you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. You got to bring people along. And, and so, uh, so he would always tell me um, that, but he'd also tell me that that doesn't mean you have to be pliable or easy, uh, you know, um, because you're not, you know, you, you don't, you don't make progress if, if, if you have those characteristics, but, but you, but you need not um, be disagreeable um, when you disagree. Okay. Um, and so, so, 
that was a, that was an important one. I learned that one kind of early in life. Um, there's two more that I wrote down that I thought were good. Um, I had my first platoon sergeant in the army. Um, I was again a brand new second lieutenant. Uh, I thought I knew everything, um, but he was invaluable in, in just teaching me things that that you don't learn in books. You know that you that you only learn in situations. And there was a point in time when I had to um, I had to admonish. Uh, one of the sergeants that we had, I mean, I, I really had to, you know, go at him. And when that was over, Sergeant Leonard came behind me and, you know, privately he said, well, that was a cold prickly. Okay. And it's like, you know, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, it's a cold prickly. He goes, sir, in, in this life, you've got cold pricklies and you've got warm fuzzies. Um, and he said, you need to remember as a leader you got to give three warm fuzzies for every cold prickly, you know? And so I, I thought about that, whether, you know, I'm coaching somebody, if you give somebody a, you know, difficult, you know, that like people go through a down period, you've got to come back behind that cold prickly uh, and build them up again, um, you know, and, and, and make sure they know that, 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 you know, you have confidence in them or whatever the case might be. So uh, that three to one ratio of three warm fuzzies for every cold prickly it never fails. Um, and, the, and the last one I, I think that I, I come back to or that I learn from, um, there was a point in my career at P&G where I, I was passed over for promotion. I was like, you know, I, I, when you came into the organization, you came in with a class and, um, and it was an up or out organization. You know, you as, as, a, as a marketer, you either got promoted um, or, or you were asked to leave the organization. And you know, the big promotion, the first big promotion was the promotion to brand manager. Um, and everybody in my class had, had been promoted and I had not, and I had been told by, you know, a couple layers of management that I should never expect to be a brand manager at Procter and Gamble and that I, I should find some place, something else to do and someplace else to do it. And, you know, ultimately I didn't accept that as, as, as the answer I, I persevered and eventually um, did all the things I was asked to do. I still wasn't promoted and I got moved over to a new organization to get a fresh start with a new boss. Um, but my boss, when I moved over said to me that, you know, it was, a, it was a mistake for me to put my head down and do the work, you know, and actually deliver results, uh, and believe that, you know, in a vacuum, the organization would simply reward me for that. Okay. Um, that, that there's things that we have to do as individuals. Um, we have to reach out, you know, form relationships, do some things. And he said to me, he said, Gary, no one can micromanage your career better than you, you know? And, um, and I became, uh, I guess a, a steward of my own career. Um, and I made moves that I thought were in my best interest while still delivering to the organization. Okay. And so, so I think it's really important, you know, if, if people are just sitting down thinking they can work, 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 and, and, and that all great things are going to happen to them, everybody's doing that. And other people are actually playing a different game. And so uh, I implore people to, you know, think about managing their own careers. It brings me to thinking much more about another topic, and that's resilience. And it must have taken a huge amount of resilience to persevere and to persist. What would be some of your advice maybe to somebody who's maybe in a similar position to that? Because, believe, you know, as, as you well know, over the last year and what's been going on, it's a very, very, very real challenge for many, many people sure. today starting out a career. What would be your advice to them? Well, I, I think the first thing I would say um, is that everybody is, is, is going to face 
some some challenge, right? Some they're going to fail in some way, or, you know, um, and it may not be solely you. It may be other other things that are going on, but it's going to happen. Uh, I don't know anybody who's risen to a relatively senior you know role in any organization uh, that hasn't that has, has a straight meteoric rise. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I don't know any of them. Okay. So it is important to remain confident in yourself and to begin to have a plan. Um, when, when it happened to me, when I was told that, uh, that I was not going to uh, make it, I, I remember post-it notes, and this was going to date me to some degree, but post-it <laughs> notes had just been invented, right? And so I, I got a post-it note and, and I wrote, you are not as dumb as they say. And I put the post-it note in two places, the two post-it notes, one, one on the mirror at, you know, in my bathroom at home so that when I would shave in the morning, I would see it. And then one in my cubicle wall. Um, and I went in and did the work. But I think the key thing is you're going to get knocked down. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's you know the organization. Times sometimes it's exactly what we've gone through with the you know with COVID and the pand- pandemic. You know it it changes things, but it need not be the end. One of the things I will say about myself is that that, that I'm also an optimist. Um, so I, I, you know, it's helpful when you have leaders who are optimistic because uh, no one you know no one wants to see somebody who is down. You ever see Winnie the Pooh? You know Winnie the Pooh the the cartoon. So there's, the, you know, there's two characters in there. Um, you, know, you have Eeyore, you know, Eeyore, the guy. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Bart you know, and I call people Eeyores. Yeah. And you, have, and, you have, and, and you have, and you have Tiggers, you know. Tigger. Yeah. And I would much prefer to have, you know, yeah, I'd much prefer to have Tiggers on my team. Now, you know, periodically you need an Eeyore, right? Because Eeyore <laughs> sometimes grounds you. But but as a leader, I, I you know, I think, I think you can be much more effective as a Tigger than as an Eeyore. Um, just because... Because the organizations take on the personality, you know, of the leaders. And so anyway, it's easier to be resilient if you if you got more of a Tigger, you know, type of mentality than you do have me. So for me, this lesson is all about compassionate leadership, showing empathy when you give people feedback. Well, what comes to me? is over Gary's career in business and and my career for that matter. Um, Things have changed and the world of business is changing. And people in business today, they want feedback, they need feedback, and they understand that feedback is going to help them to get better. In the old days, feedback mainly was criticism. That's how it came across. And people are not trained in giving feedback to a great extent. So one of the things we do in our program is we have a very powerful but simple tool that allows people to give that balanced feedback, which is going to help people. Yeah, absolutely. We call it the feedback framework, and it simply gets you to answer four questions. And you can do this about um, an individual's performance. You can do this about a relationship. You can do this about a project. And in fact, we do this on an, as a diagnostic for an entire company. And first, you look at what's working now. What are the things that are really going well? The warm fuzzies. Yeah, so all the things that are fantastic and, and, and working at the moment. Then we ask, what's not working yet? And the presupposition yet there is really critical because we're assuming it's going to be working soon now that we've identified it, we're going to do something about it. Then we look for what's missing. What's missing that we should already have in place and that will really make a difference. And then finally, we look to the future and identify what's possible. This is the kind of aspiration and and the idea of everything that could be possible once we've got the things that are maybe not working yet and missing put into place. Absolutely. And on to lesson three. 
Sticks of gum may break your business. I want to use some of your experience and your wisdom, which you're, you're, you're imparting brilliantly here. What are some of the self-imposed barriers to growth that businesses keep falling into or what you've seen in your, in your career? I think a lot of the businesses that I have gone into believe that they owned a market or markets, and so they could keep doing what they were doing the way they were doing it. Uh, And then they would wake up and say, oh my goodness, you know, these people are are doing something different. Let's go back to, you know, when I was at the Wrigley Company, you know, um, when I first met you, you know, most people who are old enough will, will think about those sticks of gum. Okay. And I remember going into that company where uh, they were wed to sticks of gum, but gum was being sold in other forms, but they had, they had these machines that made sticks of gum and the machines were fully paid for and they were fully advertised and, the, and there was a reluctance to, to change and the market share was going down. And, and it was, it was costing more to sell those sticks of gum. So profitability was going down. And that happened over years. Okay. Because they didn't see the change. They, well, if they saw the change, they didn't want to react to the change. And so I think it's, it's, it's the, the failure to be nimble, the failure to be outward looking, the, the being, the being self-satisfied, um, with, you know, with your, your, your place in life, as it were, your place in the business. And so I think, I think it's easy to become complacent. And organizations and individuals have to guard against complacency. Um, and, and I think in doing that and continuing to be forward-looking, you can improve the chances that you'll be relevant. But obviously, there's no guarantees because somebody, you know, I, I remember being in a planning meeting at one point in time and, and um, you know, a guy that I work with said to me, you know, there's somebody else in some other conference room that's planning to take our market share just like we're planning to take their market share, right? And so, um, so you always have to remember that there's somebody out there, particularly if you're successful, that is, that is looking at ways to disrupt your success. Um, and, um, and, and being complacent and not being outward looking um, is, is death. Yeah. And I think, you know, years ago, you could survive longer by being complacent. Sure. Without realizing you're complacent. But these days, that time horizon has just come very, very close. Yeah. Information travels so quickly right now. Trends change so quickly there, you know, and it's, it's wonderful. You know, I, I think it's terrific. Um, but if you don't build an organization and a nimbleness that matches, you know, how fast that information is traveling, how fast consumers are changing, because consumers, they will change on a dime, you know. Um, and so if you, if you don't change, um, if you as an individual don't remain current, you know, I see, I see it in, in people who have been in the business world as long as me. You know, when I, when I see folks who are my age who aren't computer literate, well, you know, then you're no longer relevant. You know, so um, so I think it's important for both individuals and, and organizations to, to remain nimble, to remain curious. I'm interested yeah. to dig a bit deeper into that because many of our listeners are CEOs or certainly presidents sure. of, 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 of huge companies. What would your advice be to them to help them to stay current and stay curious and, 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 and enable their businesses to be nimble and agile and adaptable to all of the disruptors that are behind the scenes waiting to pounce? Yeah, I, well, I, I, I think, first of all, you're either curious or you're not. And, and most, most of the people who I know have, who have gotten to you know, reasonable levels in organizations, they are curious. They are outward looking. They're, they're, they're seeking to consume information, right? But I, I can tell you, I, I ran a business uh, with a partner where I, I remember going in and, and we had our, our, our CFO 
um, who kind of put a damper on uh, a lot of things. In fact, I called him the CF no um, versus the an C- eel. <laughs> yeah, he was. And, um, <laughs> and I, and I, re- I remember we had blockers you know, in the organization who really weren't delivering very much, who were not enabling the organization to grow. And, um, and we had you know, younger folks in the organization who were, who were pushing hard. And, you know, and if they weren't getting what they needed, they would leave the organization, right? So it was, it was, a, it was a bad cycle that was going on. But I, I remember having a conversation in particular about promoting uh, one of the young ladies we had in the organization and paying her commensurate with that. Uh, and, and that particular CFO who didn't last much longer than this conversation, um, that particular guy said that, um, that we, you know, we, we can't do that. She's only 27. You know, um, you know, and she's and she's not married. Well, of course, that's you know, that's anachronistic. I mean, that's like a you know, it's a, it's, it's a throwback to the fifties. You know, and um, you know, I I thought we needed to find a way to take her and other people like her and give them more to do. You know, uh, that's what they expect. Now, you want to make sure that you can bring them along and coach them and train and all that kind of stuff. But the way to stay current is to be having conversations with those people. Okay, to mentor those people um, because. Because, you know, mentoring relationships uh, are two-way relationships, you know. It's not just imparting knowledge down. It's also imparting knowledge up, you know. So I, I'm lucky, you know, I, I've been able to do that. And I've got, and I've got kids who, you know, kind of demand it of me. They'll say something. I was like, what, what are you talking about, you know? Um, those conversations um, are really important. And this is not about age. This is about surrounding yourself with people who have that knowledge, okay, who, who are thirsty for those things, who are outward looking and bringing that closer to you as a leader so that you can you can learn from them and you can learn from those things that are going on. So I've tried to do that as often as I can. It's been it's been, it's been terrific, but there are people who build walls and 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 don't let those folks close to them you know the higher you get, you know. I mean it's 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 really interesting because I think the higher you get in organizations this is going to sound terrible, but the less work you actually do. Okay? Um you know I I don't remember the last time I did a spreadsheet, right? You know, but I got you know, but but there was a time that I did that, and, and so so I I think that the further you get away from it, the the more the tendency can be to not be in it in, in a way that can um that where that you can learn from things, right? And so um so I think just bringing people in that are forward looking to, to learn about the setting up, you know, as a as a leader in particular, you know, bringing in speakers and 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 having conversations, you know, that that can put you in a situation where you're uncomfortable, um, that forces you to learn. One of the things I'm thinking is that you and I have spent many years around business and. What are some of the what are some of the key changes that you see from when you started early on and what you see now? And I know you've got you've got three grown children actually yeah. in the business world at the moment. Yeah, um, thinking about them and, and the the careers that you know they're into at this point. I think people don't spend uh, the careers like they did, you know, it's a, it's unusual. It's my generation that's spending 30 and 40 years, um, like our parents, you know, but I think what you're saying and what concerns me about it, um, is that there's less patience. Okay. There's less ability to build some level of expertise in something. Right. And I don't want to put things into, you know, the, the, the old boxes that we have, but at the end of the day, there are functions that have to happen. You know, and so I I am concerned that with some of the leaping that um, 
people are not as individuals getting the fundamental training that will serve them better later. But at the same time, as an organization, as leaders, you know, people quit leaders. So I think that uh, it's incumbent upon leaders and organizations to have give people reasons to stay, you know, and develop those things. And so, so I think there's a, a delicate balance um, because folks will leave in a heartbeat to go for the, you know, the, the, the next uh, paycheck or the next role or whatever the case might be. But I think, I think younger folks need to think about what they're going to becoming expert at because there need to be things that you can be expert at at some point in time. Yeah. So. And it can't happen overnight. I think we're like the microwave generation where we just think, bing, That's, now we can do it. Yeah. Or we've watched the YouTube video. Now we know how to do it. And in some ways, I think it's very true. That does work for a lot of stuff. Right. But in so many ways, you're absolutely right. We're not developing this discipline of mastery. Right. And I think you're onto something there, Gary, that there's the shiny new thing, but you don't get that opportunity to really learn more about your own co- competence and capabilities and how you can build on that and build that discipline. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad, you, glad you said it that way because I, I remember sitting down, you know, um, with groups uh, as, a, as, a, as a CEO of a company, you know, uh, and, you know, and, as a speaker in various places and people, you know, young people in particular. And again, I don't want, want this to be pejorative because I, you know, I see so many brilliant, you know, folks that are out there, but, um, but young people will look at me and, and, and say, well, how long will it take me, you know, as a summer intern, you know, how long will it take me to get your job? Job, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, it took me 30 years. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slow. You know? <laughs> you know, I'm sure you're smarter than me, but it's going to take you some time. Right. And so, so, so that's one. The other thing is that, you know, I, I see, a, I see a lot of um, entrepreneurs who um, see the headlines of, about, you know, the company that went public or, you know, something that, that became an overnight success and somebody became a billionaire. And so, you know, and people think it's common, you know, it's not common that those things happen. Some of those people who have created those companies, they, they hit on brilliant ideas, you know, and they executed exceedingly well. Uh, and for all those brilliant folks that are out there, there's lots of, you know, uh, dust by the wayside with other people who didn't make it. And so anybody who, who's starting something because they want to make money, it's the wrong motivation. You know, th- these other folks were solving problems or, or creating new markets um, that sometimes we didn't even know we wanted to see, right? Um, and that's rare. So folks need to understand that. So this lesson from Gary stands out to me as the breakthrough mindset that we develop in our clients. The breakthrough mindset is embodied by magical thinking. That's possibility thinking. And it's coupled with heroic action, the I can attitude. And you need this for growth. And for me, it brings to mind this state of curiosity. We start our life as children being curious. And being curious allows us to learn. And learning allows us to grow. And if you think about it, if children come into a new place, like a new room, what they do is they notice things. They're curious. But as adults, what we do when we come into a new environment is we start judging. We've lost that means to be curious. Now, on to our hot seat. This is the part of the show at the end of each episode where we ask our guests quickfire questions to learn more about their views on life, what's important to them, and to learn about their habits for high performance. So, Gary, are you ready? I believe so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. Okay. So first of all, what brings you energy and motivation in your everyday life? That's, that's an interesting one. I, I, I've always been 
motivated and energetic. You know, I, I, I'm a morning person. I get up that way, but there, there's a quote that I, um, that I remember. Let me see if I can, um, this was a quote that's attributed, I think to Marcus Aurelius. And, and he said, and I've remembered this, he said, um, when you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy and to love. And so when you think about that, you know, it's kind of how I think about things, you know, it, it, it is, it's a privilege to be alive. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that I could not be here. I, I, I suffered the death of a really close friend of mine a little over a year ago, right at the beginning of the COVID thing. It wasn't COVID, but uh, he, um, I've got some people that I have remained close friends with from high school. Um, and there are, there were six of us. Um, and we resolved probably 12 or 15 years ago that we were going to get together um, every other year at least. Um, and so we started off, I brought them to Chicago uh, and we did a bunch of Chicago things. We went to baseball game, we ate steaks and, you know, did Chicago stuff. And then we went to one guy's house in Pittsburgh and so on and so forth. Well, we had gotten together in New Orleans um, in the fall of 2019 and, um, and Robert um, in February of 2020 uh, sent us a text saying, Hey guys, I've been diagnosed with, 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 uh, kidney cancer. Um, and he was told he had six to nine months. Um, uh, and we had planned one more get together, you know, kind of off cycle as it were just to one more time, be together, all of us. And, um, and he died a month later. So, so I, I just think about now at, at, you know, where I am, it's been, you know, it's been a good career and, and, and I continue to be very, very active, but you know, nothing's nothing, you can't take it for granted and, and things can happen and things can turn into dime. And the older I get, the more I realize that. So, you know, again, I'm a morning person and I go back to that Marcus Aurelius quote that says, you know, what a privilege it is to be alive. And so I don't need to be motivated in some, you know, artificial way. I, I feel very lucky um, to be here right now. So sorry to hear that about your friend as well, Gary. It is a, it's a cycle of life as they say. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it is, it is for the first time for me hit that closely to home with, with, with my, with my friend group and that that's a wake up call. Yeah. Carpe diem. Yep. Absolutely. Carpe diem. All right. The next question is finish this sentence. Success is. Uh, that's, an easy, that's an easy one. Um, Paolo Coelho said, um, it's being able to go to bed each night with your soul at peace. Um, I, I read that and it, and it stuck with me um, because, you know, when you're younger, you think success is I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to you know achieve a certain, eh, you know, and, and that's all good. I mean, you know, listen, we all want to do those things, right? Uh, I, I've gotten to the point that, um, that I, you know, I've, I've made a fair amount of money and I've raised my children. And the good news is I, I still like them and they seem to like me, which is, which is wonderful. You know, I've been married for a long time. So all those things are good. Um, but at the end of the day, the older you get, the more you realize they're not enough, you know? And so, you know, so I think positively impacting people, making sure you've done your best because, you know, going, going back to that kind of morbid story I told you about my friend, Robert, you know, it's not, it's not guaranteed that when you close your eyes at night, you're going to wake up in the morning. Right. And so, uh, so if I can at every day say, you know what, uh, it's, it's okay. It's, uh, you know, your life was good and I've given it a good run and I, and I have been, I've done right by people then, you know, uh, the rest is, the rest is okay. All right. The final question is: What inspires you in life? Well, this is this is one I think that um that probably has changed over time, right? Um, because we all go through life cycles. As I said, I've got three kids. Um, I've, I've got two grandkids. Uh, I thought when you were going, I thought when you were 
you know, a grandfather, you'd be old and, and, and you couldn't walk and you're kind of, you know, ready to go. Well, I, I'm, I'm not that. Um, and, um, and so they are really cool. Um, and, and the more I hang around with them and see them grow, and I've got, I've got a granddaughter who's three, almost four, and a grandson who's almost two, um, it, 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 it makes me want to be young. Um, it makes me want to be around for a lot longer. You know, and so um, I've got no intention of going anywhere, but it also, it also, you know, points out that life is precious. Right. And so, um, but it makes me want, it makes me get up and, and, and want to be around. So that, that really inspires me just, you know, and I wouldn't have said that, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I, I, but things change. And so that, that's really for me inspiring at this point. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, and finally, <laughs> if our listeners want to find out more about you, or maybe they want to ask you a question, is there a way that they can reach out to you, um, either through maybe LinkedIn or social media or via us? What would be the, the best way for them to do that? To, to, sure. To- I've got a LinkedIn profile. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm Gary E. McCullough on LinkedIn. It's MCC. U-L-L-O-U-G-H. And so, you know, happy to respond to any, anybody on, on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> All right. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you, Gary. All right. Thank you, guys. I, I, I enjoy talking with you. You know, you made me think a little bit. And I, I, I need that from day to day. Thank you for joining us for today's three lessons. And of course, a huge thank you to Gary McCullough. Do make sure you hit the subscribe button and join us each month for another three lessons from Breakthrough Leaders. And you can reach out to us at Breakthrough Global on LinkedIn or Facebook or via Twitter at Radiant Clarity or on Instagram at Global Breakthrough. And we'd love to hear from you, your feedback and your own leadership stories. We'd also love for you to share this episode on your own social media and review and rate this podcast on your player of choice as we want to spread these transformative lessons as widely as possible. And finally, a huge thanks to our production team, Yulia Sheltisova at Breakthrough Global and Robin Leeburn at Fairly Media. And of course, thank you for listening. See you next time.